Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. You have a handout in the seat in front of you. If you're on the front row, it's probably right behind you. And that will help you to follow along in uh, this series that we are in that we have simply called Base Camp. <laughs> now, it was supposed to be three weeks long, but last week my, my message couldn't be fit into one Sunday. It could have. You just would have all left and, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so we added one more week before we begin to ascend the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7. It's all the words, not all of the words, but Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is exclusively the words of Jesus. So it's in, all in red if you have a Bible that puts the words of Jesus in red. And what we have been doing over the last few weeks is preparing ourselves to ascend the mountain. Um, so that we have uh, the correct mindset and some paradigms of thinking that we've been working on so that we can see and understand this way of Jesus, which um, can be, um, will be pretty baff- <laughs> baffling. <laughs> that's, that's the word. Okay, let's see. Okay. So, um, and you know, as I begin... Can we, can we do this? Can we just be open to understanding Jesus as he is presented? And not Jesus that we necessarily think that he already is. So um, can we do that? Can we just be open and uh, receive um, um, from the word this morning and yeah, really trust the spirit to lead us? Because the more I get to know uh, the real Jesus, um, the more I see the delusions that I've come to believe about him. And I, I would guess I'm not alone. And so we're seeking after Jesus. I mean, we sang it this morning. My heart is so full as we sang, Jesus, we love you. Because um, there's no greater blessing than to live in the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Period. So, Well, um, in Jesus, we get to live as we're created to live, but there's no greater goal that the enemy has against us than to get us exerting our God-given energy and talents in the wrong direction or (laughs) with the wrong things. And you know what it's, is my time up? (laughs) That's it. Gave you two and a half minutes. That's it. Yeah. There is no greater goal the enemy has than to get us living according to the wrong script, to use all this energy that we have, living according to the wrong script. Um, You know what it's like to to spend a lot of time trying to fix something that shouldn't be wrong, right? You guys know this? Last week, somebody hacked into my Starbucks account. I did not even know that this could happen. But I began to see these purchases, you know, of like $20 to $30. And I was like, that is not me. My drinks are not that big. That's not, that is not me. And, and so I thought, man, what kind of drinks are they getting? And so I looked it up. 
I was like, man, what are the most expensive Starbucks drinks that you can, and I found this Frappuccino, and I thought, man, maybe they are getting this 100-shot caramel Frappuccino with soy vanilla syrup, and add the Frapp chips on. I thought maybe that's what they were doing, but no, they weren't spending that much. Look at that, $86 drink that you can get there. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. This is only the fifth most expensive drink of all time, according to, isn't that crazy? It's only the fifth. There's, there's more expensive ones, but I, I like that shot. Yeah. <laughs> Those who hacked into my account weren't quite that audacious. Um, but I had to spend time on the phone with customer support with Starbucks, four different phone calls. Four different phone calls. Two of them, I was like 25 minutes in, and I just randomly got hung up on. You know? I was like, man, I... Yeah, it is fatiguing to deal with life broken. That's just an example. That we, that we what's the most expensive? It was, it was, yeah, well over $100. I don't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. Dallas Willard, um, an author that I really appreciate, he suggests that life living outside of living according to Jesus Christ is like flying upside down. And this happens from time to time. Pilots, they will get what is known as spatial disorientation, and they don't know they're upside down. And so they go to pull up, and they actually go down. Living according to the way of Jesus, and I was not depressing. He's like, well, where'd he go? <laughs> it's like flying upside down. Um, thinking that what we're doing is moving us up, but actually it's moving us down. This is where the enemy wants us to be at. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is doing for us. You guys, I did not let him. There, look at that. He's, he's fine. He's fine. He just pulled some repentance where we begin to fly right side up. The life of Jesus as outlined in the opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, which we began sitting last week, suggests that Jesus invites us out of this deadly inversion and into his way of living right side up, according to what is really going on. We'll make more comment about this uh, in a little bit. The enemy seeks to confuse us and keep us on the death flight. But Jesus is calling us to this, it's been called the inverted way, this place of inversion. We talked a lot about, last couple of weeks, <laughs> Stan the liar, the enemy of our souls, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And my good friend, pastor friend, and I just consider him a scholar, he's tremendous. He listened to our message on the temptation, and he said, Isaac, this is what I heard you saying in a sentence. I was like, well, it took me 55 minutes to say it, but good job, <laughs> He says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does this by promising to give, bless, and build. Convincing us that we're flying right side up. Asking us to pull up according to my way, and what is in the end for us is death and destruction. Of course, God wants to give. He wants to build. He wants to bless. But the enemy subverts us all the time with lies all over the place. And these aren't just a little bit of lies, but a lot of it. He's not like, well, I'll say some lies. His whole vision for the world is a huge 
lie. And we outline more of that. Please go back and review the messages as we go through the Sermon on the Mount to get a framework of how Jesus is already dealing with that. I like <laughs> the fact that Jesus, he comes with ultimate authority and he invites us into the way of human flourishing. And stand the liar is nothing compared to the true, substantial rock of Jesus Christ. Stanley Hauerwas puts it well. He says, what cannot be forgotten is that the one who preaches the Sermon on the Mount is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. He is making all things new. This is the authority of these words, and we will see we're being asked to think of the world in an inverted fashion, different than how anybody else talks about the world. Jesus' vision for flourishing, which is the only vision for flourishing that will accomplish its promises. The kingdom of heaven, which is here, and it's among us. Jesus is calling us to live into and experience. And so on one hand, we'll be surprised by Jesus because it's different. Totally different. But on the other hand, this is coming from the one who has the authority and who is making all things new. And so we can lean in. We can listen and be willing to go flying right side up with Jesus. Father, Son, and Spirit, I ask as we seek to understand, I ask that you would help us to unlearn what we need to unlearn. And I pray that through your Son's holy words, powerful words, that we would be changed. Change our minds, and Lord, help us to put that into practice in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're at the very beginning of the sermon, and these beatitudes are not just like an attachment or a nice intro or like, hey, got your attention kind of thing, but these are the opening words of Jesus, and we're already seeing as we read them the inverted way of Jesus. So notice the inversion. Notice how opposite it is. That's, that's inverted. Um, how opposite it is to the way that, that we think and the promises of our world. There are nine phrases that make up the Beatitudes, and again, notice the inversion. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus, the Son of God, opened his mouth, and he began to teach them. You guys remember, Jesus presented, present at the creation of the world. Jesus, who, who knows the molecular structure of water, and he could change that to make it be wine. This is who's opening his mouth and beginning to teach. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus says, rejoice. And be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the Beatitudes. Let's imagine the scene. Jesus is, the crowds are coming to him. And it's not all the powerful people. It's the people who many of them were probably mourning. Many of them were poor in spirit. Did not feel that they had the spiritual knowledge to be able to apprehend God or say anything about God. This is their state. And Jesus is saying, you're blessed. It would have been surprising, confusing, and unlike anything they heard. Later they comment, he teaches as one with authority, unlike the religious teachers that we have. Of course he does. It's the Son of God exposing his vision for human flourishing. Now, the inversion, or how different and opposite this already is, can be confusing enough for us to understand. Like, whoa, this is not nine ways to make your life great. (laughs) That's already confusing, but added to the confusion is the word blessed. And last week we were going to cover this, but I wanted to break it down and take a little bit more time because there's some concepts, I think, that are helpful for us to learn. This word, blessed. There are two different Greek words in the New Testament. The New Testament is written in Greek. Um, There are two different Greek words that are translated with one English word, blessed. And the two Greek words are this, and we're going to walk through, and I hope to understand, help you understand. The handout will be helpful. You can take it with you and understand. The first is Eulagia. Everybody say eulagia. That is the first word. You might sound familiar. It's where we get our word eulogy from. Um, and the second word, which is the word that Jesus is using, is makarios. Everybody say makarios. Makarios. Now, two different Greek words, one English word. And this can be confusing for us. Particularly, it's confusion, confu- <laughs> confusing because <laughs> my son is always saying Confucian. <laughs> I almost said Confucian. It's Confucian for us. <laughs> um, because we tend to understand, or our natural understanding is around this idea of eulogia. And I'll explain. So, this word, which is not the word Jesus uses for blessed here, it's not the Greek word, but this is the idea, we use it in this way I would like to bless someone with a gift. In other words, a blessing is something that is bestowed or that is given. And this is certainly biblical. Eulogia is all over, the, all over the New Testament. This is certainly biblical, that this is a divine favor or like a gift, something that is given. And, um, or another way that we might use it, we say, God bless you which is totally appropriate, and this is good. This isn't wrong, but this is just the word eulogia, which we mean by this, I ask God to give you his divine favor. Or we pray blessings over people. We're praying favor, gifting, this thing from coming from God to us. That is the um, correct imp- interpretation of this Greek word eulogia, which is not the word that Jesus is using here. Here's how Paul uses eulogia in Ephesians. There's lots of examples. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, or eulogia us, (laughs) 
with every spiritual blessing. He's given us spiritual blessing. It's a gift with every spiritual eulogia in the heavenly places in Christ. And this is, we understand this. This is favor that is given. This is what Paul is after. He's talking about this, this gift that God has given us. It's a blessing. We understand that. That is probably our, our we understand that word bless. It's mostly what, when we use it, that's what we mean. Um, again, that is the correct interpretation, of course, as Paul is writing there. That totally makes sense with eulogia. But if we read the Beatitudes with this understanding of the word blessed, the eulogia understanding, it can sound like this. Blessed, eulogia, that's the wrong word, it's not, but it sounds like blessed are those who mourn, for shall they shall be comforted, which sounds like you're blessed, somebody gave that blessing, it must be God who has given you mourning. Do you understand? Like when we read blessed, like God has given me this gift of being poor in spirit. God has given me this gift of being, so is that what I, so you understand how it's hard for us to even understand what that means. Yeah. This is not the word that Jesus used, and the, the difference is pretty important. Um, so, if we use eulogia and its meaning in the Beatitudes, we can miss the meaning and begin to interpret things like pain as God's like bestowment. Oh, there's my child, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and that confuses our perception of God. We don't know how to reconcile that with God is love, for example. And these are big concepts, and it's not to say that God is just nice, but these words, when we don't understand them, can confuse us. So, um, scholar, recent scholar, Jonathan Pennington and others have labored hard at understanding um, this point of view, particularly as it's used in the Beatitudes here. And they point out this significant interpretive error, and they point out that the word makarios is the word that Jesus is using here, and this has a rich history associated with what are called makarisms or makarisms. And makarisms are, as it says here, commonly used wisdom statements in the ancient world by which a sage, somebody like, you know, really wise, like Aristotle used these, by the way, <clears throat> they would describe somebody's posture or circumstance that would lead this person towards flourishing. So, macarisms or macarisms were kind of like axioms or pithy statements that help people to know, am I in a posture or a state of being able to be happy or to be flourishing? For example, I made this one up just to help us understand. And I, I'll go through this to help us see the difference here. Happy, or makarios, is the one who finds a dollar, for the next trinket is theirs. Now, here's, here's the thing. The dollar isn't the blessing. But it, 
But this describes the position one finds themselves in upon having that dollar to be able to have or receive the trinket. It describes the posture that leads to happiness. In this case, possessing the trinket. (laughs) Now, Jesus is our far better than that. But the idea here is that a Makarism is an observation that somebody makes from the outside looking at a person and recognizing that that posture in that there's something that they're going to be able to experience and Jesus said it's going to be happiness or flourishing. And this is just astounding as he describes some of these postures. Um, Jonathan Pennington, he writes about this pretty extensively. He says, the English uses of blessed for both of them, both makarios and eulogia, English uses blessed for both of them, and it has perpetuated this huge confusion where in other languages it's very clear. And he goes on to list some other languages when there's two different words that describe this. English just has one, and so it's very clumsy for us to understand. Um, It's very clear. Divine favor or eulogia is one word. And someone describing a state of happiness or posture of happiness, makarios, is a totally different word. We just have one. The word in the Beatitudes describes a state of happiness. And Jonathan Pennington just wrestles with the English language and our inability to be able to translate this well. We don't have a word. We don't have a a wisdom tradition that we can draw on. We don't have Makarisms within our culture. We don't have a word that describes those things. And so it's totally foreign. But he says the closest that he can come up with, and he recognizes that it is also challenging, is flourishing. To bloom to blossom. And so Jesus begins his great sermon with a series of Makarisms in which he is outlining these postures that people will find themselves in and then letting them know that they can flourish within that. They can flourish within it. He will go to, on to explain Because in those postures, they have the opportunity to reach out and live in the kingdom of heaven that is right among us, as we have talked a lot about here, not over there, but is right here. And in those postures, we will begin to experience the reality of the inbreaking of God into our lives and living according to what is really going on. And so these beatitudic postures, as we'll call them, are really important. And as we'll see, the commands of Jesus will take us back to these postures over and over and over again. Pennington also says, I think it's helpful, he says this is where it gets interesting because what Jesus defines as true happiness is shocking. It's totally unexpected. He doesn't say flourishing is when you have lots of kids (laughs) or flourishing are those who have tons of money. Or flourishing 
are the prestigious ones in society. Or nor does he say flourishing are the virtuous. Instead, it's flourishing when you have a poverty of spirit. A hungering or thirsting, not positive things. When you are humble, that means giving up your rights. Something just fell out of my shirt. (laughs) When you're merciful, you are giving up your rights and forgiving someone else who has wronged you. All these things he describes as flourishing are totally unexpected. When we find ourselves living in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, we begin to live right-side-up. Why do we mourn? We mourn because of the kingdom of this world. It is the kingdom of this world that persecutes the Christ follower And we are flourishing to live into the eternal reality and not the present difficulty. In the kingdom of this world, living in it, we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's not filled. But Jesus says, For you will be satisfied. What you hunger for is real. And you can begin to live in it now. And when Jesus says later, he says the kingdom is here. You can just feel the anticipation. You guys have all been sold a lie. It's real. And it's not all complete. But you can begin to live in that reality right now. The kingdom of this world... Jesus says, flourishing is those who give mercy, for they will receive mercy. The kingdom of this world provides endless opportunities for mercy. And in this posture, we flourish for just as God is slow to anger and abounding in love, we as his image bearers can express that and experience how we are supposed to be living like God himself, who is abounding in mercy. We will flourish. The inversion looks more like this. It is the world that is upside down. And the Beatitudes remind us that down is up in the kingdom of the heavens. The world is the upside down. The world is what has it all lost. The world doesn't know. But Jesus says, hey, when you're experiencing these things and there's mourning that happens and you feel poor in spirit and you feel unable, you are flourishing because you are beginning to long for and live in this kingdom that is coming on earth as it already is.
flourish when you're merciful, when you're in mourning, longing, and, and knowing that this is not all there is. Yesterday with Etta Evans, we celebrated her life and we grieved and we laughed. We're living in the reality of the eternal kingdom, knowing that this is not all there is. In the present moment, death has a bit of an effect on us. But Paul says, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It has been swallowed up in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the victory of Jesus Christ. And so, as we even experience mourning, we are flourishing because we are beginning to swim in what is really going on. Let's read them using this better translation that we will come back to. Flourishing are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Makarios, flourishing are the mourners for they will be comforted. Flourishing are the humble because they will inherit the world. Our world that is living upside down, thinking that bombast and power is what makes the world go round. And the Son of God says, no, it's humility in all actuality. Flourishing are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Flourishing are the merciful, for they will be given Mercy. There's no end to the mercy of God. And so as you are like your father, you are flourishing and being who I've created you to be. Flourishing are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The world says flourishing are those who on the outside look like they really have it together. Flourishing are the ones that look really important, but Jesus says, no, your, your heart. <laughs> you're flourishing when you're pure in heart. Yeah. And he'll come back to our heart a lot in the sermon. Flourishing, next slide, are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God. Our world has become addicted to the means of violence as bringing about redemption. Jesus ended that. Flourishing are you because you will be called children of God. Flourishing are the ones persecuted on account of righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing are you whenever people revile and slander and speak all kinds of evil things against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. And he's not saying over there. Jesus is always referring to in what is here. Your reward is breaking through. This is the treasure that I have for you the inheritance 
As Jesus says, he says, I'm just about my father's business. And then he invites us into his business. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. In the same way, people slandered the prophets who came before you, those who spoke to the upside down world before you. They couldn't get it and people don't grasp it because the lies of the enemy are so powerful and they were reviled as a result of that. <laughs> in the same way, because you're beginning to live in the right side up. And flourishing are you. Happy you will be to live in what is going on. Notice, as we highlighted that last week, that these are beatitudic postures of weakness and not power. These postures that Jesus is outlining are, are sacramental in nature, and that means that they are, they are opportunities that we have for heaven and earth to, to connect and for us to connect again with what is really going on when we mourn, when we're poor in spirit. We experience that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness that is not here. It is heaven and earth coming together again, and we have an opportunity to, to grow and to find ourselves living as we are asked to live. When we are pressed into weakness, our power comes to an end, and then we are strong in the ways of God. The Sermon on the Mount, without understanding this, is an impossible climb. But as we begin to understand it, it's a climb to humility. It's a climbing into, there's a song we sang years ago, break my heart for what breaks yours. It's a climb into that kind of mourning. It's a climb into mercy where the world wants vindictive justice. It's a climb into loving our even our enemies. It's a climb into starving for righteousness. It's a climb into allowing God, his heaven, to break into our hearts, not just our externals. It's a climb that takes us into peacemaking so that we can bring about the true reign of God. Each struggle, each time, place of life, therefore, is a struggle to descend lower into what is really going on. So that, as Jesus' cousin said, John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase. So as we move forward through the Sermon on the Mount, we will take time to recall these postures and to remind ourselves of the postures that Jesus describes us as flourishing in. We will not necessarily endeavor to like, how can we make that posture happen? But we will recognize that our lives lived as Christ followers are going to take us into these postures in which heaven and earth can meet and the space becomes thin and we can experience the reality of his kingdom. These postures will help us to bring the kingdom of God into our lives. Some thoughts as we go. First of all, notice how circumstances and events 
in your life press you towards the Beatitudes? Humility. <laughs> Discouragement, needing to make peace, etc. Places for God to meet in and for us to flourish. A question for you. <clears throat> what situation are you facing right now that makes you poor in spirit? Poor in spirit. Unequipped. Don't know. Unable to apprehend all of what God wants to do. Jesus says you're going to flourish in that. Often we draw closer to God in trial. What trial in your life has the opportunity to draw you close to God? James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to him. And finally, we're going to receive communion this morning. And we receive this regularly to remind ourselves the descent that Jesus took as he ascended into his glory. We remind ourselves of the weakness of God himself making himself weak and lowly to come and to conquer evil, to be victorious, where we can receive forgiveness from our sin, which the enemy wants to use as shame, you know, batons against us. Jesus has taken the sin upon himself, his blood poured out so we can receive forgiveness. So those things do not need to distract us from living according to the kingdom. That is right here. And we do so in emulating our Savior who humbled himself. And so we come to the communion table receiving humbly of the broken body of Jesus in the bread and receiving humbly the blood poured out and his work that defeated evil, defeated Satan <laughs> and then thrusts us into this brand new way of the right side up. Hmm. Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you. It's so relieving to know that these challenges are not lost on you and in them we can flourish. Help us to live in the right side up. Help us to live according to your will and way. We need you. As we receive of communion this morning, would you fill us and remind us again of how it is that you're bringing the kingdom into the world. It was through your humility, and it's through ours. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. So here's how it will work. There's tables here on my right and left, and there's also one in the back. You can take the bread and cup, take it back to your seat, partake of it whenever you would like. If you're here with a spouse, I encourage you to receive together. Um, friends obviously can do that as well. But receive of that and encourage yourself in the way of Jesus again. Devin and the team will lead us in a song, uh, as we do. And, um, and then, I think, Devin, you can wrap up when you're done with the song. All right. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's receive.